Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where we have finally, after months and months of waiting, we have finally hit the point where we can once again ask this question. How can you go outside when it's Grand Prix Day? Uh, yeah. Well, my pleather jumpsuit is at the cleaners, and I feel underdressed. Oh, that's understandable, then. She was being facetious, dear. Oh, I see. I don't have a pleather jumpsuit, and I am not going outside on race day. And that's the good news. It is race weekend, but before we talk about any of that stuff, we have gotten, from our friend Jenny Gao, we have gotten what is arguably the most important piece of information that you need for the Formula One season this year. What? We have found out the name of Sebastian Vettel's car this year. Finally, it's been revealed. What is it? He has named his car for this year Loria. Not Gloria. Loria. Sounds the same. Has the same meaning. But it's Loria, not Gloria. L-O-R-I-A? Correct. Okay. Goes with his goofy haircut this year. He does have a goofy haircut this year. Well, you know what, what it was? was He was trying to save time. He went to the barber. He was like, I'm in a hurry. I need a trim. I got my hat on. I'm going to leave the hat on. Just get what you can see, and we're good. We'll be out of here like that. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Pretty much that's what it is. And I think Lewis did the same thing. Yeah, but Lewis probably, like, spent three hours in the salon to get that look. Um, (laughs) Loria. So I'm assuming he's expecting his car to drive like a lorry this year. I don't think so, but I don't know. We'll have to see. I thought I normally like to have like two names for the car, you know, like. See, we've had such a gap since he started with Ferrari that we have not been able to find out what the name of the car is. I don't know if he has changed the practice. Interesting. So I don't know. All right. So other news. Before we jump into everything else that's happening, we've got other news. This is this is just got word of this today. But if you recall, what, 2013 or so, Bernie found himself in a bit of hot water. Well, typically his mouth gets him into a bit of hot water. Well, no, this was more around allegations of bribery and tax fraud and oh but remember he didn't think it was bribery he was just paying people to do what he wanted them to do no it was that he was paying them supposedly to keep them from going and reporting his dealings to the british tax authorities also something i think he said in his out loud voice yes well we've gotten word that With a trial start date tentatively scheduled for October 1st of 2019, a high court action has been launched against Bernie Eccleston by investment concern Blue Waters Communications Holding, LLC. Now, Bayersh Landisbank and the Eccleston family company Bambino Holdings are also defendants. So what is going on here? Is it Blue Waters claims its attempt to buy a controlling stake in Formula One in 2005 was, quote, derailed by a corrupt agreement reached between Mr. Bernard Eccleston and Dr. Gerhard Grybkowski. 
The case revolves around Blue Water's attempt to buy shares from Bayer's Landis Bank and the allegation that with the help of Grybkowski, Eccleston was able to block the sale, leading to a subsequent deal with CVC. In 2012, Grybkowski admitted to receiving payments from Eccleston and Bambino. Bernie claimed that he had been shaken down by Grybkowski, who threatened he would give information to the UK tax authorities that would cause problems for Bernie. The 2014 action in Germany was suspended when he made a payment of $99 million to the Bavarian government. In this latest action, Blue Waters is seeking damages from uh, Bernie Eccleston, BLB, and Bambino. Wow. Yeah. So we'll see how this, this shakes out. You know, ultimately, with all of Bernie's holdings and where he's got stuff squirreled away, I doubt it's going to make a big impact on him. I mean, heck, the $99 million payment that he made to the Germans didn't slow him down. So I'm kind of curious. Did Bernie teach Vijay Malia his financial stylings? I think that... Or do you think they Bernie, have dinner and they, they trade back and forth about their fabulous financial stylings? I, I think Bernie may have learned some stuff, or, or Vijay may have learned some stuff from Bernie, because Bernie's been doing this for a really long time, and, and Vijay's not nearly as old as Bernie is. So my guess is that maybe there was a mentorship agreement happening there. I was wondering... <clears throat> But actually, I think VJ's deals are even sketchier than Bernie's. Interesting. Because of the whole thing of, well, let's start a business and make it go out of business, but keep all the money and, and <laughs> stiff creditors and stuff like that. Bernie doesn't really have a trail of failed businesses in his wake. VJ does. No, he'd be president if he could do that. <laughs> oh. Okay. That so was my outlawed voice again, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry. So do you remember a couple of weeks ago we heard that um, Brian Tyler was contracted by Formula One to create a new theme for Formula One? Yes. I think that wasn't a couple of weeks ago. I think we like talked about it last week. No, it was a couple of weeks ago. It was about two weeks ago. Okay. Um, to, to remind you of what he was replacing just so that everybody knows, um, and there was some concern about this. What he replaced was this music. Not the chain that everybody knows to be Formula One music that BBC and Channel 4 have used. Well, to be clear, that the British fans know. Because Sky doesn't use it, and in the U.S., we don't have it either. Well, we, we got the debut, if you watch qualifying, and, and we got the debut of the new music, which that's, that was only a small clip of it. It's actually about a three-minute long piece. Mm -hmm. um, I got to say, in watching the start of qualifying, in the U.S. at least, and what they showed, it really sounded like the recording that they were airing was – done with a micro well it was done on an iphone microphone it was possibly. it sounded really bad possibly um if you didn't hear it we, we we've got a clip of it for you so so let, let's play that and, and hear it because it's the hero gotham deserves but not the one it needs right now so we'll hunt him that's not the music because he can take it 
because he's not our hero. He's a silent guardian, a watchful protector. A dark knight. That's not the music. <laughs> okay, so th so that was Batman. I I I, I got confused. <laughs> Come so on, give us the real music. Okay. That's not the music either. That's the intro to the Avengers. Actually, that is the music. No, it's not. Come on, play them the real music. No, that, that that's actually it. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I am. I, you, you listen to that and you're waiting for Iron Man to land right smack in the middle of the track in Monaco because he did that in a movie. But um, <laughs> no, that that's really the music. Well, I'm glad we don't watch Formula One for the music. <laughs> John Williams, he is not. No. I, again, in his his repertoire of music that he has created, not just as the Fast and Furious film series, but also, surprise, Avengers, Age of Ultron, and Iron Man 3. So for the music to follow the same general theme, mm -hmm. not a huge surprise, but really kind of disappointing in that and i gotta say the opening from uh qualifying today was kind of not impressive either i mean yes well, it was more than what we've had in the past but the iphone recording and <laughs> well the question i have and the one thing that we haven't been able to do yet is see what edited version of sky's coverage we got because it was very obvious during Q1 that we got an edited version. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what that was. Um, just because our DVR doesn't seem to like this coverage, I'm, I'm not sure that's what we were seeing. The, the things that I've got to give credit for with this is we did not get a single commercial interruption while cars were on track. And that's something that NBC Sports and Speed never did in the U.S., so that's great. Um, David Cross, uh, David Croft was a little bit excitable, which I'm assuming is because it's the first qualifying of the season, and he did calm down a bit. His intro he, was a little screaming. He he did. Um, my guess is that by the time we get to about race 15 or 16, he's going to be a little tired, and he's not going to be quite as excited. <laughs> I hope it doesn't take that long, but yes, he was a little screaming. Um, but. The plus side, we get, and apparently we're not getting the full pre-race, but we are getting some element of pre-race from Sky, but it's just pre-race coverage. It's 30 minutes prior to race start. There's no pre-race coverage and analysis prior to qualifying. It does not appear that there is much, if any, post-race and post, well, there's no post-qualifying coverage. That's really disappointing. Mm -hmm. um, and also between sessions because we've got no time because, yes, yay, we don't have commercials breaking up our on-track action, but between qualifying sessions in the U.S., there's no analysis. 
that doesn't really make me happy either. Well, I will say it was really nice to see Paul D'Aresta do some analysis of Botas's crash. There was that, and it was also great that the American audience got audio from the pit wall to hear Christian Horner mm-hmm. and, and his input. So it's the first race, and hopefully things will get better. I'm not sure yet about the new graphics package. Um, I did happen to like the fact that we could see once again, um, and we got this one race, or we got this in Australia last year and didn't get it again, but we were able to see as the sectors were being laid down by Lewis, especially in Q3, we were seeing him go purple. We got those indications back. We saw Raikkonen, Verstappen, that they were green. But what I really wanted was I wanted to see Vettel's times because Vettel was, he was the one who was hot on the heels, and they didn't show us that. They also were testing, like, telling you what turn people were in as they were driving the track as you could watch them around. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of interesting, too. But there seemed to be more information on the screen this year. Um, and I thought that was a really cool shift, and it's something that I'm excited about. Now, I don't know because we've never watched regularly the Sky coverage if that's additional Sky stuff or if that's straight off the world feed. No, this is all wor- all that graphics package is world feed. Well, then I'm excited to see what they're doing. You can also tell that um, they have got a brand guideline going because they are now leveraging their new logo and the graphics package is fitting in with that branding. So their branding company has really done a a global thing. Oh, yeah, and, and it's not just what you've seen so far. It is all around the track. I mean, over the, the, the archway, it's a whole new entrance. It's a very decorative it's a nice looking entrance to the paddock area it's this welcome to the f1 paddock and it's in the the matching fonts and it's all in the same style it is apparent that eyebrows has really issued a brand message package through the process now what sean bratches has failed to do (sighs) failed um is he failed to get uh, FOM's director of digital, Frank Arthafer, and his team to launch the F1 TV Pro service in time for this weekend's race. But I thought we knew that it was going to be coming out over the season. We year. knew it was going to be early. It was the confirmation that it was not happening in time for this race. We don't know exactly when it's going to happen. They, Formula One has been really quiet now as to exactly when it's going to hit. Um, and I think it's probably worth at this point going and taking a look at the, because the, we haven't looked at the app yet, Mm-mm. taking a look at the app and see where things stand in the app. But we heard that this was a rumor. We now have confirmation. Netflix will be showing next year a multi-episode documentary on F1 and the 2018 season. Ooh, are they following a specific team or are they following it is following the series now as um as zach brown is saying over at mclaren some teams are allowing greater level of access than others but it will be behind the scenes at the teams and following the series through the season we don't know how many episodes so i don't know if this is going to be an episode uh, race, or if they're going to con- how they're going to condense this, or I think what. they're probably going to have to see what kind of footage they get. Because yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the things we didn't know how many episodes Grand Prix Driver was going to be either um, until they kind of figured out what story they were telling. 
Yeah, and, and I don't think they know just yet. So it'll be very interesting. But they are promising us that we are going to see aspects of the sport and the operation of the sport that fans have never been privy to in the past. Ooh. Well, again, if, if it's anything like what we got from McLaren, this could be fascinating. Oh, I, I don't doubt it will be fascinating one way or the other. I just hope they do it well. So on to some team news going into build-up for the week. And we're not going to go and, and do a track breakdown this week. Okay. Basically because I didn't pull it up because we, we stopped doing it partway through the season last year. And, and it's when it interests us. We know how we work. Okay. Well, Renault, uh, they're not expecting a whole lot, apparently, for the first half of the season. Okay. Um, both drivers have said they don't expect any significant leap forward uh, until a development push in the middle of the season. Mm. Um, they did a couple of bits that they have that they have incorporated into the car from winter testing, um, and I don't know if it's because winter testing was kind of the disaster for all the teams that it was, or if there that was just their plan from the beginning. I don't know. I don't, I don't know either. Um, but that also includes uh, potentially running more engines than the allotted amount. I think most teams are going to wind up running more engines than the allotted amount. Well, Carlos Sainz says that if he's got to take engine penalty hits in for the year, as long as this helps the team make long-term progress, he's good. Oh, he said that. When he we were in pre-show prep, you made it sound like the team said that for him. No, and he said this. I thought that the team was very bold to say that for him. No, no, he was saying this. Oh, okay. Well, as long as he's being a team player. You know, he he is, I guess, agreeing with the idea that they're still in a transition period. They're still building and trying to prove. So, And they've been in a transition period less time than the Browns have been. So, therefore... Well... You, you got to be nice to the Browns. It's a rebuilding century for them. Really is. <laughs> so over at McLaren and their disastrous testing that they had, I mean, unmitigated disaster for them. Not too many things blew up, though. Um, no, there was a wheel nut failure. There were battery problems. There was a loose exhaust. There was overheating bodywork. But um, the engine didn't blow up. The engine did not blow up. It seems like all of the problems that McLaren had were McLaren's fault. Yeah. Well, Eric Boulier says that they're on top of what went wrong. They figured it out. They're not going to have these problems. Oh, so they decided to not send Earl down to the uh, 10P shop for bolts again? Well, Eric said that they were on top of the problems. They got everything fixed, and they weren't going to have these problems. And then in free practice, too, at least one of the cars was sidelined for a good portion of the, the session due to an exhaust problem. So I'm not going to answer your question. <laughs> I think they should have fired Earl. <sighs> now, I don't know who Earl is, but he probably is going to get fired. It's probably not Earl. It's probably Nigel. Possibly Nigel. Yeah. I had hopes for Nigel. Now He had such a good interview. <laughs> yeah. Now, Fernando has said that he believes that um, the worst showing of the team this season will be in Australia. He thinks that um, truly for them to hit their stride and get their upgrade cycle in place and get 
things really moving on the car, it's going to be by race two. But he is basically considering, I guess, Australia to be an extended testing session. It's testing 3.0. Something like that. Well, it sounds like somebody has been feeding Fernando the Kool-Aid. Well, it, it's still early in the season, so Fernando still offers some up. So what about their engine partner, you ask? What you about mean Honda? We're not, Renault? Well, their former engine I was going to say, because their current one is Renault, and we just talked about them. They're not seeing significant upgrades until at least mid-season. We don't know what's getting pushed to the teams, but... I don't even, at this point, McLaren's problem isn't the Renault engine. It's McLaren. Which is really kind of disappointing. I'm telling you that last year, not all of their problems were the engine. Yes, they had engine problems. But I'm going to tell you that I don't think all of their problems were the engine. I thought they had a convenient scapegoat, and they could ignore the McLaren problems because the engine problems were so much bigger. Well, I, I think the problems with the engine masked the problems with the car last year. That's what I just said. <laughs> no, I, I think the car didn't reveal all of its problems. It wasn't that they could say, well, you know, it's a convenient scapegoat. It was that they didn't know all the things that were bad because of the fact that the engine was so bad. The car wasn't going fast enough to break all the other problems. Well, That's yes, my point. And if the car it's doesn't different... go more than two laps, you're not going to see the third lap problem. It's a different goat we're scaping here. <laughs> okay, there's obviously a field of goats at the McLaren Technology Center, and they are all named Scape. It was a different goat we were scaping. Okay, so how is Honda doing for Toro Rosso this year? Well, Helmut Marco said that he thinks that the Honda package is technically interesting. The engine is very light, and now the reliability is there. They speak of continuous performance improvements. The engine should be at the Renault level by the end of this year. Now, Christian Horner on the other side said that, yeah, it looks like we might have a choice. He says, the situation varies with Renault almost monthly, but we're used to that. We've known them a long time. We've got a respect for what they do, and the most important thing for us is having the most competitive package going forward. We want to be in a position to continue to close the gap to the teams ahead and get onto the front foot. Obviously, we are in a position for the first time in probably the last 10 years that we have a choice moving forwards. That is a position we have not been in for a long, long time. There has either been a veto or a block or a non-desire from supplier to supply. Interesting. Now, that being said, looking at qualifying performance um, this weekend, this morning, because we, we, qualifying was this morning. We're recording on Saturday for once instead of the Sunday. Um, the Honda cars were not that impressive. They were not, which was disappointing. <clears throat> but, but they what, weren't smoking. They, 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 they did make it all the way through qualifying. What we don't know, and this is the challenge with the driver lineup there at, over at Toro Rosso, and the same thing over at Williams, is that we don't know if the lack of pace that they're showing is because of a problem with the engine and the car or just the fact that their drivers aren't that great. And it's the same thing over at Williams. We don't know if 
the problems that they're having are, and, and the lack of pace that they're showing is because the car isn't that great. And we know the engine's good, but is it that the car is not that great or the drivers aren't that great? I think that that's definitely a risk because they all four of those drivers are very new um, and they're still trying to break in. I mean, when your elder statesman is Lance Stroll and we know yeah. how much you personally hate Lance, um, it's it's really hard to judge the driver skill of that group. It, it is. And the the... One of the questions you've got to have with Lance is that he's a young he is a young driver. No quite he's like what, eighteen still? I think he's nineteen. He might have just turned nineteen. He's been in the series for this is his second year in the series. There's no baseline in that team. There's no leader in that team. There is nobody who's got the experience to really understand what the car is doing and why it's doing it and explain that to the engineers to fix the problems. Besides the fact that Lance isn't necessarily a quick driver. I understand. I think that, you know, we can't judge everything by the little bit that we have seen so far. It is the first qualifying of the year. We haven't even gotten to a race yet. Remember that as of right this minute, every one of those 20 drivers has an equal chance of winning the championship this year. No. Yes? No. After what we have seen so far in qualifying and the pace we have seen, Pierre Gasly does not have (laughs) an equal chance of winning the championship as Lewis Hamilton. Same with Marcus Erickson. But he's the same, same number with, of points away. Same with Charles Leclerc. He's same, the same number of points away. Same number of points away, but clearly the vehicles that they are driving are not up to the task. They're not. Okay. And the first laps that we have seen while they have been timed on the track are proving that. All right, are you done dissing them? Because I can go back to dissing other people, too. Oh, I'm sure we'll get there. So this year, one of the predictions that the BBC has, and and they're probably really right, is that this year is going to be a very, very political year. You know, we've got the commercial agreement, the Concord Agreement, that's expiring in 2021, which, yeah, it seems like, yeah, we're two, three years out, but... They gotta start have a lot working of time. on it now. Well, they've been they've been working on it for the last two years, and they've gone nowhere with it, um, to the point that all they've really done is pissed off Ferrari and now Mercedes. Which there's a rumor going on. I don't give a whole lot of credit to it, only because I think it's there's no no benefit to come from this. But there's a rumor going around that apparently uh, Ferrari and Mercedes have said that if they don't get what they want out of the next commercial arrangement, they're going to walk away from Formula One and spin up their own breakaway series. Interesting. I don't think there's any benefit to, to either team if they do that. I don't think so either. But, you know, the constant threat that they're going to pack up their toys and go home is always there. I mean, it would be one thing if they were going to say, you know what, we're going to pack up and we're going to leave. 
and we're going to IndyCar, that might make some notice. Even if they turn around and said that they were going to pack up and leave and throw all of their stuff into Formula E, which I don't see Ferrari ever doing. Mercedes has already thrown support into it, but I don't think Ferrari will throw support into Formula E. That would get some attention, too. Oh, yeah. But Christian Horner has offered up his opinion on the situation and where things are going. Yeah. What Christian says, he says, my view on this is very simple. Trying to get a consensus between teams that have got varying objectives and setups is going to be impossible. Of course, there will be a lot of positioning. The media will be used, and we can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> it's history repeating itself. It happens every five or six years, every time the Concord Agreement comes up for renewal. My feeling is Liberty, together with the FIA, need to get on the same page and say, this is what we want Formula One to be. This is the financial distribution surrounding it. Here's the deal, and lay it out for the teams. My view on this is very simple. Trying to get a consensus between teams that have got varying objectives and setups is going to be impossible. Okay. So, yeah. So, ultimately, what Christian wants is to, them to do it his way. Well, it, I don't think it's so much that he wants them to do it his way um, so much as he he thinks that and, and this is kind of a way Bernie used to work to some extent, that Formula One group and the FIA need to be the dictators here. Not so much that they want that he wants them to agree to his terms, but he thinks that they need to tell the teams, you want to be in Formula One, this is the this is what it's gonna be. Not the hey, you guys want to do it this way? <laughs> no? All right, let's try this way. No, okay. Well, how about this one? <laughs> That's what he's pushing. Okay. You don't agree? I don't know. Okay. Well, we had the return of the driver press conferences. Yes. Um, the BBC folks were a little upset at the press conference that they went to with uh, uh, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, and Daniel Ricciardo. Oh, really? Why? Um, they complained that the drivers were really kind of unenthusiastic. Oh. All of them, including Daniel Ricciardo. Daniel was unenthusiastic. Like, toned down Daniel is still off the charts for most humans. Well, and I don't know because I didn't see the press conference. Supposedly, uh, at some point, Lewis had reacted and said, you know, look, I've been doing this for like 16 seasons. This is my least favorite part of the job. I can understand that. And Daniel... There was reported to be that the day before, the two days before, he had some very heavy PR commitments because they he run does him in ragged in well, Australia. It, it's not so much that they run him ragged; it's that he willingly does this. Well, he does not say no to any agree any opportunity in Australia. Yeah, I mean, he's been known, and they've talked extensively about the risks he puts his race into with the lack of sleep and the lack of. A focus on the race for all the PR events he does, and and I I, I don't blame him. I mean, but that's his personality. But during the press conference, one of the the key things that came out is that once again, Lewis Hamilton was channeling Lightning McQueen. <laughs> How was he channeling Lightning McQueen? What he had to say and talking about, you know, what he was looking for this season and what he was hoping for. 
He said, my psychological war is I arrive fit and ready, and I'm there to kill, and others know I'm good at what I do. I don't think the best athletes want to put the others off so they perform worse. They want to perform at their best so they can prove they are better than them. Beating someone when they are weak doesn't mean you're the best. That sucks. If you ever believe you are the best because you beat someone when they are down, that's the worst. I want to beat these guys at their best when they are physically in the best shape because then it's going to hurt so much. And that's what I love. That's not just channeling Lightning McQueen. That's a slap at Nico Rosberg. You know that, right? Well, to some extent. Now, Nico Nico had his own um, on Autosport. He had his own slap back at Lewis. Ah. Um, it wasn't related to this. Autosport asked uh, Nico through his his own predictions whether or not anybody could could stop Lewis from getting his fifth title. And Nico's response was, well, I know of one person who could. <laughs> um that there is going to be a ton of press this year about this race to five yes oh absolutely um, um especially because um he's now tied with vettel for four so if either one of them wins it's a fifth championship right no that's why i was saying that it's that's the press is already starting to build around they already pretty much think that this championship is going to be between lewis and vettel it's they mm-hmm. are tied at four championships in each. It is a race to five. Now, the next champion that holds the next number of championships that anybody has ever held is Schumacher at seven. Yeah, but, but stepping back because there's one other important statistic. Okay. So should Sebastian Vettel win the, the driver's championship and Ferrari win the constructor's championship? It's not guaranteed that they'd get both. But should that happen, it would be the first title for Ferrari since 1997 or 98. I think it's 97 when they won it with Kimi Raikkonen. (laughs) Okay. That's an important statistic. Now, even more than that, McLaren hasn't won a title since 98. Okay. 97 for Williams. Okay. You've tried to say 97 and 98 for two different teams each time. 2007 is for Ferrari. 2007 is not 97 or 98. Did I say that that for Ferrari? Yes. No, it's 2007 for Ferrari. Okay. It's still really, really long time. Yeah, but Mercedes won it last year, so that's not that far away. That's not far in the past. Okay. Um, so anyway, here's my point. Lewis is not Lewis and Vettel are not the same age. Vettel is still in his mid twenties. Lewis is now in his early thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of talk, a lot of talk. There are a couple of pundits out there that are talking about Vettel's goal is to rival his his hero, which was Michael Schumacher. Yes. So seven titles is his goal. To win a title for Ferrari is his goal. Lewis wanted to rival his, his hero, but he's already bested his hero. Yes. The 
only thing that Lewis does not have is the most number of world champions, which is held by Michael Schumacher. He holds the most number of poles, the most number of wins, the most number of fastest laps. I mean, every one of those other pieces he holds. So that's going to be an ultimate question is, do we think that Lewis will stick around for three more years if he could win a championship every year for the next three years to, to at least tie Schumacher? Because if he was to tie and or beat Schumacher, he would literally run the gamut of every one of the top statistics. I think it depends on whether or not he gets his fifth world championship this year. Mm. Well, I predict he will have it, so therefore, let's go with that. Okay. So moving on to Force India. And notice I, I am calling them Force India. They didn't change their name. They did not change their name. Um, they have postponed it, despite what Vijay Mali was saying, of a high probability that the team would change their name by Australia. They have postponed changing the name, and it will not happen this year. Um Possibly because nobody wanted to pay them the money to do it. Ah. We don't know for sure. I mean, we offered them pocket lint, and they wouldn't change it to the bloke in the bird car. Uh, yeah, we asked, but they weren't interested. So what Bob Fernley said, and, and now we know why they, they told us no. He said it's a shareholder's decision, um, and they've got to take their time to get it right. They've got to decide where they want to go and how they want to position it. It's not something that you should be doing as a five-minute decision. So apparently they did think really hard about our offer. Four and a half minutes at least. At least. Um, he said, Force India had a very clear brand objective when it was launched, and today it's a recognized brand within Formula One. So whatever you do for the future has to be really measured and well thought out. There's got to be a good reason for wanting to do it, and that has to come from the shareholders. It could happen in five years' time. It could happen in ten years' time. And this is where I go and I question what Bob had to say, is that this whole idea of whatever you do for the future has to be really well-measured and thought out and that it's a well-recognized brand in Formula Yes, it's a well-recognized brand in Formula One, but that doesn't mean there's no reason to rename the team. If someone's going to go and give you you know, a dump truck full of money to rename your team, you're going to rename your team. They do it all the time. Be clear. We did not give them a dump truck full of money. We didn't even give them a dump truck. Well, I offered them a little plastic one from the boy, but... Oh, well. You know, I thought that with some Monopoly money would have done it for them, given VJ's financial styling. Now, here's the thing mm -hmm. that I will disagree with you on. Okay. The team name is not necessarily a sponsor. It is not. So, for example, Williams is the team name, but the sponsor is Martini. Actually, the team name, because of the sponsorship rights, is Williams Martini Racing. Correct. But if Martini pulls out, it's still Williams. Correct. So, I mean... Force India is the name. Sahara was the sponsor that got free advertising for a couple of years. Um, yeah, I figured that one out too. <laughs> but here's the thing. You can change the name. I mean, Braun Racing was a team name. Jordan Racing was a team name. Mm -hmm. I mean, you 
you've got to divorce the two of them. It's not just about somebody paying you lots and lots of money. You have to have a team name and then you can add a sponsor to it. But if somebody pays you a lot of money, and, and I mean, look at Manor. Okay, they were Marusha. Mm-hmm. Marusha went away. They became Manor. Then at one point they were told, you know, it's really better if you guys go with MRT. So they briefly had that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and, and what does Force India truly stand for? Are, are they really an Indian team? Well, no, I don't think that they are at this point. And, and that's the thing. I mean, I, I get the idea of you want it to represent the national pride of the country and to have some kind of tie back to the country because of Vijay Malia. But Vijay can't go back to India because there's a bounty on his head. All right, just an arrest warrant, but close enough. Um, but he can't go back to India. They have no production facilities in India. They have no Indian drivers. They have nothing at all that ties them back to India other than Vijay. So to change the name to something else, it, it's not a problem. It's not an issue. I mean, not even the color scheme is, in, it is related to the Indian flag at this point. I, I get it. I mean, maybe BWT could give them a couple extra bucks and they could become the BWT team. You know, I'm kind of surprised that BWT has it because I think they've done that over in uh, DTM. Now, I want to mention something mm-hmm. because mentioning BWT reminded me of um, watching the Halos go around the track. Mm-hmm. And I am probably like jumping around a bit. But I have to tell you that there were a couple of sponsors that were really smart and flipped their little logos around on that Halo yeah. so that they appeared a in the right direction for the camera but we're in the camera shot Ferrari did that Rexana for williams um ferrari had something on there the chinese company yeah i saw the bwt logo on force india well there's impressed there's other sponsorship specifically on force india's halo because one of the things that you got to give force india a ton of credit for is getting sponsors Amazing. They're fantastic for it. Um, they manage, and, and my guess is that they were working on this before the McLaren deal was announced. They managed to also get a sponsor for their Halo. Also, a sandals and flip-flop company. Really? Javianas, which I've never heard of them, but they're apparently one of the world's biggest flip-flop brands. I I don't wear flip-flops. I don't know. But Javianas... Um, they are being displayed on the outside of the Force India Halo, and there is an agreement that is in place. Now, unlike the McLaren deal, which is just a one-time shot, this is multiple races. I've heard it say multiple races, and I've heard other folks say, well, it's across the season, but it's multiple races. So I don't know if that means that it's going to be on there every race, or it's going to be on there some races, or if there's going to be gaps or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they managed to, to get on Force India's Halo. Interesting. Yeah. So, changes that were made for Melbourne. Um, there's another DRS zone in Melbourne. There is, and, and there was a brief mention of it during uh, the lead-up to qualifying, the, the 30 seconds that we had, mm. of David Croft yelling at us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there is a third DRS zone now 
in Australia. Yes. Like something like 70% of the track can be done flat out. Something like that, yeah. And what's interesting is that like the new DRS zone is on a curve. Yeah. It's an, it's an isn't straight. Yeah, they think that that might have played a part in Valtteri's crash. Um, I don't think it did because that was before that. Mm-hmm. Um, that was at turn two, um, which is really – that's not a DRS area. He said something about in, – in the post-race comments, he mentioned that um, the third DRS kind of kind of threw him this time. Hmm. Just throwing it out there. Interesting. The other change that was made um, – there's concerns about visibility of the start lights on the gantry and the halo. <laughs> well, have you ever been sitting in a car? I don't know. Let me just throw out an example. I'm just spitballing here. A 71 MGB with the top down at a light. I have. I'm sure most of our listeners haven't, but I know some of our listeners have sat at a traffic light, the front row of a traffic light in a Mini. Yes, also a possibility of having bad visibility. But I can tell you that from personal experience, there is something particularly difficult about sitting in a low, small car (laughs) directly underneath a traffic light. Yeah. So they've moved around some of the start lights. Now, one of the things that they they used to do prior to the halo was what they called they had a repeat set of start lights they were halfway down the grid they were so that the folks at the back of the grid could see the start lights because what they found especially two years ago and earlier was that with the tall tailwinds that they had if you were further back in the grid it was harder to see the lights well last year they lowered the tailwinds that wasn't a problem but now we have the halo and if you're up at the front of the grid trying to see the, the, the lights on the gantry, that's not quite as easy. So that repeat set of lights that was halfway down the grid for the folks in the back, since they don't have an issue seeing the lights anymore, they've moved those lights up forward. Mm. So that way the folks who are sitting at the front of the grid have lights that they can see. They're off to the left. Ah. Um, the other thing that they did, and I don't know if they're going to do this in – uh, the rest of the races throughout the season, but they definitely are doing it in Australia, is that normally um, drivers get to do practice starts, which we see, but normally that's coming out of pit exit. Right. Well, because of the ch- – and I don't know how they're making this work, but because of the changes in the light positions, drivers were allowed to do practice starts from the grid in Australia. So I don't again. I don't know how that works because the last thing you want is somebody doing a practice start on the grid if somebody else is on a hot lap in, in free practice too, because that's just disaster written all over it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they did to to accommodate that, but apparently drivers were given the opportunity to do practice starts from the grid in Australia, which is not something that's done. Well, you know, it's probably like the old skating rinks when we were kids. All right, it's backwards skate time. Everybody <laughs> wants to skate backwards can skate backwards. Everyone who wants to do practice starts, you may do practice starts on these laps. Uh, it may be. I don't know. Practice starts are happening, so, you know, speed limit is two miles an hour in front straight. Yeah. Did you also happen to notice while we were watching qualifying the limited number of camera angles that were shown from the car? Um, I noticed that I could see the one front that like was 
bird's eye over the driver. Yeah, and, and, and that was one that we have seen in the past, was that one that was over the driver, which is not quite as clear. But, you know, in the past, we used to have the shot that was a bit lower down that was over the driver's shoulder mm -hmm. and stuff, you know, other shots that were on and around the, uh, the air intake. Yes. We didn't have those this year. No, we didn't. Well, Formula One discovered <laughs> this past Friday during the practice sessions that most of those shots are completely obstructed with the halo. Another thing the halo is taking away from me. Yeah, it's a big problem. Um, for the what they called the chassis shot, which was the camera that was mounted on the side of the airbox, um, about 50% of the screen was obstructed by the halo. Ouch. Yeah. The problem is there's not a lot Formula One can do about it other than not do those shots right now. Because the camera mounting points, you have to get agreement from the teams as to the permissible places to mount those cameras before the start of the season. <laughs> so now that the season... Now, why they didn't do this, do this testing, oh, I don't know, in Barcelona two weeks ago. I don't know. know. That seems really odd. I was thinking dumb, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll give that to you. So the idea is that there's probably going to be testing over the next couple of months uh, regarding some alternative camera angles. The, the one that is on top of the airbox that we saw this weekend, that, that's going to stay. Um, that's good because it works. It's the only one they got. It's the only one they got. But they're going to be investigating some uh, camera mounts on the nose. So they can do that with really small ones. Um, and we've also seen a couple of teams do them under the side view mirrors. So I'm guessing we might see some more of that at some point, but possibly not this year. Hmm. Interesting. Can we discuss the problems with the halo? Not only have they taken good camera angles away from us, they've given that halo has given us something else that I dislike. Is it the one thing that we've only seen one driver do? Well, yes, so we far. saw him do it twice. No, it was more than twice. Okay. So one time it was a bit closer shot than <laughs> I think even the cameraman meant to get. It was a little personal. All right, so the cameraman at, at between two of the qualifying sessions um, was taking a shot of Lewis Hamilton getting into his car around the halo. Now I think that the goal was to kind of show how the new maneuverability is on getting into the car without with the halo because or lack thereof it is not easy and it's not as graceful as you used to you know you just used to see them slide right in mm -hmm. lewis hops up into the car standing at the like probably in his seat mm -hmm. standing there he then has to adjust his race suit because he had to hitch up his race suit to get that distance with his leg adjust himself you know, you men know what i'm talking about um adjust himself and his race suit vigorously things need to be properly positioned in the gentleman's area <laughs> i am sure but i am quite sure that that many times is playing with okay it, it, if you have to drive fast in a car that is cinched down with the seatbelts, the last thing you want to be worried about is the condition of the items in your gentleman's area 
<laughs> that is highly distracting and does not you saw the the the, the uh, discussion from setting the car up appropriately for the drivers in the McLaren show. Mm-hmm. It's the same kind of thing. If you are not comfortable or if something is causing you extreme discomfort, you will not drive the car as well. It is important. I am sure it is. That was an extreme amount of adjustment. Well, see, clearly, since that's the only part that you saw, you clearly missed at the end of qualifying while Will Buxton was trying to move on to, you know, the driver interviews, Lewis climbing out of the car on the grid, on the the front straight, standing on top of the car and once again adjusting himself (laughs) behind Do you think that maybe he was having problems with his underwear i mean was he wearing the appropriate flame retardant underwear well see that's the question (laughs) is how well does the appropriate flame retardant underwear fit that's also possible i mean remember they can lose up to a kilo or two during a race lucas degrassi can probably tell lewis all kinds of important things that he should know about his flame retardant underwear well it apparently needed to be adjusted vigorously so well, for starters, Will Buxton, congratulations on the new position with Formula One. He now actually works for Formula One. His paddock pass that he used to do with NBC Sports is now being aired and produced by Formula One. It's available on YouTube, which means that Will's mom, who lives in England for the first time ever, can watch his paddock passes. Aww. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Buxton. We're very happy that you're <laughs> Um, But the whole reason Lewis was there was he kind of stomped on everyone again. You know, it was looking like Ferrari was going to be close. Mm-hmm. It really did, especially coming out of Q2. It looked like Ferrari was going to be close. And then Lewis came out in Q3 and put down another six-tenths, or was it eight-tenths? It was significant, definitely. And it was an amazing lap. It was. He he said after the race, and I'm paraphrasing because it, I don't really want to quote Lightning McQueen too many times, um, that it was one of those times that you just felt it. He said it felt good. I knew I had it. It was absolute perfection. Yeah, Lewis was point six six five four ahead of Vettel and eight tenths ahead of uh excuse me, six six four ahead of Raikkonen, eight tenths ahead of Vettel. Right. Is what it was. Now in the post race conference press conference, the only quote I have read, and I have not read all the details because I want to get context to the statement, mm-hmm. was Lewis looked over at Vettel and said, I want to wipe that smile off your face. Well, one person who's not smiling is Daniel Ricardo. Honey Badger's not smiling. Well, for starters, no matter how well he did, he was hit with a three. I was very disappointed to hear that we were going to start the series with a grid penalty. Well, it wasn't for a technical reason. No, he didn't slow down enough for a red flag. Yeah, and he not only did he not slow down enough for a red flag, but it wasn't even a situation where there was really a hazard on the track. There was, a, there was a problem with an electrical system, which is why they were red flagging the session. But it wasn't because of, you know, 
an unsafe condition on the track due to, you know, a car or something like that. And it's not that he did not slow down. They, they, well, the penalty was for not respecting the red flag. Mm-hmm. It's not that he did not slow down. They decided he did not slow down enough. But the other piece of that, though, is that they were lenient on him because he should have gotten five places. Mm-hmm. They only gave him three, and they gave him the penalty points that he was supposed to get, and that's it. Right, but one would have hoped that he, they, if they were really lenient, they would have given him a reprimand. Yeah. But he's also upset after seeing Lewis's qualifying. Mm. Um, it's very well known that the Renault engine has not been able to take advantage of special modes just for qualifying that give the car more power. And uh, he thinks that based on the gap that there was, that Mercedes has such an advantage that really it doesn't matter which one of the top drivers was in that car. They were going to end up with pole. Mm. That's what he thinks. Well, yeah, that's a little sour grapes. Yeah, the drivers could have won if they had that car. Yeah. Um, overall, though, for qualifying, my biggest disappointments, my two biggest disappointments, one was for all that we heard about the Hondas being better, they were still all the way down to the back of the grid. Mm-hmm. That was number one. The other was the McLaren really expected them better. I really expected them to be up there challenging the Red Bulls, challenging the Ferraris. If they were not in the top three, I expected them to be nipping at the heels of the fourth-place team. And they were, they're nowhere close. No. However, on a positive side, best grid position ever for the American team, Haas. Yeah. Um, they're showing really strong. Fernando's actually kind of upset how well that they're showing he has called the car a ferrari clone well okay but we've already discussed in years past we have discussed they bought every piece of ferrari they were allowed to buy they did but they still had issues with handling of the car Mm -hmm. those don't appear to be nearly as much of an issue especially for kevin magnuson who is in his second highest starting position on the grid since oh his first year in melbourne in a mclaren so, and K-Mag um, out-qualified Mr. Grosjean. Yeah. Well, and Roman wasn't complaining about his brakes. That was very nice to hear. <laughs> or not the, the other, I think, really big disappointment, and I, the, the good news is that it's early in the season, I expected better from the Force Indias. You, you finished the season in, force last, in, in fourth last year. I expected you guys not to be struggling to get out of Q1. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where that goes. Well, I think it's it's going to take them. They're going to have to find their own pace and find their spot. I get that. My biggest disappointment with qualifying was Valtteri hitting the wall. That was a huge. I mean, when is the last time we have seen a Mercedes in that big of a wreck? That's. I mean, that was, I, I think the last time was probably Nico and Lewis in Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was a huge wreck. I mean, the good news is that he came away, he appears to have come away uninjured. Right. Um, we haven't heard the final report from the medical folks, but he appears to have come away uninjured. Um, the expectation is that he's at the very least getting a, uh, 
a grid penalty because of there, there's it's doubtful that gearbox survived. So there's probably a gearbox change coming, if not more of that car, assuming that they can get it rebuilt, which I'm assuming they can, but I don't know. But why would he get a grid box penalty for changing out the gearbox? They get three of them in a season. But you, you're still supposed to do it within the prescribed schedule for gearboxes. Oh. And once the, the race weekend starts, you're not supposed to be changing them at all. Oh, there's that. But... Yeah, he, he broke some axles, some suspension parts. Um, there was hydraulic fluid on the track. Um, that was a huge, huge hit. Yeah. And that is one of the things that just watching that in replay, having Paul DeResta analyze it, mm-hmm. um, which was very cool because I would have predicted that if um, NBC old team – if, well, okay, if David Hobbs had analyzed it, he would have said that the issue was in that second corner when Valtteri's tire went off the track and hit mm-hmm. the wet grass. He would have said, well, that's your problem is you hit the wet grass. Paul DeResta backed it up a little bit further and saw that Valtteri had issues with the apex of the previous corner. He didn't come out of that corner correctly Yeah. or well, and that's what caused it. That put him and set him up for hitting the grass in the second one. Yeah, the grass is what took him into the wall but it it's it goes further back and i think that that's key critical analysis that we will get now that we have people who have driven in the century um <laughs> I, I i think commentary. it's more than that i th- i think it's the these are folks who are backed up with the technology to do this level of analysis on the fly mm-hmm. and that part was really very interesting to me to watch that and see how that worked. But it does confirm the one thing that we know about Melbourne. Get it wrong. You're in a wall. Yeah. This is very much, it's a beautiful track, but it is not one of the Herman Telke large runoff area tracks. <laughs> you get that wrong. You're in a wall there's a couple of areas that are a bit more forgiving or you could do barrel rolls across the gravel like uh both martin brundle and fernando alonso have done oh there's been a lot of spectacular crashes at melbourne um not just that but there's been cars launched in the air i mean there's melbourne is known for its share of spills and chills yep so our last story Unless you had something else. Nope. Okay. Our, our last story is that um, it sounds like things are moving closer to us getting a Dutch Grand Prix. Really? Yep. Uh, the Assen Circuit and the local government there has appointed a race promoter to help finalize the deal. Ooh, that's a good sign. Yeah, it's a really good sign. It's, it, we're still probably a good two years before anything happening. Um, but Charlie Whiting has inspected the, the circuit. He inspected it earlier this year. Uh, he says that there were only small changes required for it to secure the grade one certification from the FIA. The big concern, though, that they've got over at Assen is their marquee event is currently uh, MotoGP. They do not want to disrupt and have an impact on the MotoGP event. So scheduling is going to be a big deal, and changes that are going to be made 
that, that need to be made to the track, they don't want to have an impact on the Dutch TT. Got it. I'm excited for it. I think the fans for a Dutch Grand Prix will be off the chain. So hopefully you got your predictions in for Fantasy Grand Prix. Yes. Our stuff is in. It is locked. We will be publishing what our predictions were in the next day or so. Um, and then we'll let you know what we did and how well we did next week. And I should mention, I believe that you can still join the fun. Yes. You will miss out on the points that are available this weekend. But, you know, if you were to predict well, you could still come back up. Well, there is always the possibility that even if you join too late in a season to be competitive in the league, there's still that you, 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 there's still that race by race competition, and there's still that possibility that you could have predict us. Yes, it's a strong possibility, but it's a possibility. It is a possibility. <laughs> All right. Um, I was about to say that we're going to call it a show, but I believe you have a special ending. That begins the 2018 race season. Yeah, you can call it a show, but we have the special 2018 introduction. And that's what we'll end with, if that makes sense. I'm going to call it we're, a season. We're, we're, we're ending the show with an introduction. As one does. And on that, we'll call it a show. This is race critical. We do need to get past Verstappen. You are still safe to battle. Repeat, repeat, you're quiet. So you are still safe to battle. We need to get past Verstappen. I don't know how you expect to do that right now. So we still have potential for P4 here, Nick, as Valtteri, so just keep pushing. Considering plan B, how are the tyres? Do whatever you want, man. Steering wheel, lots of steering wheel here. Give steering wheel. Hey, hey, steering wheel, somebody tell him to give it to me. Come on, move. Wait, he brake tested me. What the f going on? And they're still reporting it. Vettel literally just came alongside me and turned in and hit me. Guys, what the f Honestly, what the f this guy doing? If you're the team boss at Force India, you go nuts. That is ridiculous between two teammates. Yes, uh, you do. You go nuts. You slam the table, you have some really hard stern words. Check. Oh, I've got your back, Lewis. Yeah, I can hear you, mate. Oh, okay, man, look, I've got a lot of pace. Now, let me use it. I don't know why the Ferraris are slow. I don't know why. Yeah, copy, Lewis. We're looking into it. We are looking into the situation. We're aware. And this radio stuff sucks. My last tires were perfect. I could have kept going. Ah. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Lewis. Uh, yeah, it's all a bit rubbish at the moment. Oh, I got that.
damage, god damn it! Yeah, I made a bet with uh, totally the 10 euros on Vettel because he really looked quick at the car, everything was right. But Louis, thank God, pulled out one of his special laps. Seven hours of racing jargon and mindless statistics. Here we come. Oh, snacks. Mm-hmm. And they're race themed. Well, vroom, vroom.